In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Jonathan Renning and I continue our discussion about dealing with web forms, specifically diving into different validation strategies. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 59. Hey everyone, welcome to Full Stack Radio episode 59. I'm your host, Adam, and today I'm bringing back a recurring guest, Jonathan Renning, to continue our discussion on uh, forms, the most horrible part of web development, Uh, because a lot of people really seem to enjoy that episode, and we got a lot of positive feedback and uh, ideas for other things that people had questions about, so I thought we would kind of continue going on that thread for a while. So welcome back to the show, Jonathan. How's it going, man? It's going good, Adam. Thanks for having me back, buddy. Awesome. So, um, yeah, the thing that I think would be interesting to start with is getting into uh, form validation stuff and kind of some of the tricky cases that you run into on a lot of applications there, uh, because that's not a topic that we really got to dive into last time. So I know that on the big project that you've been working on uh, for the last however long, uh, you have been doing a lot of kind of complex form validation stuff. Uh, Is there any kind of uh, particular situations that you find yourself running into a lot um, that, you know, maybe isn't handled by some of the typical form validation stuff that usually comes with a, a framework that you might be using? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say kind of like the most common problem that we run into is you have kind of the standard rules that you can run that come with, you know, your normal validation package that do, you know, make sure that the input, if it's required or not, it's there. Min, max, length stuff, email validation, password confirmation field validation, like all that sort of normal stuff. That's always easy. The piece that gets tricky is when you start running into situations where you need to do some sort of business logic validation, but you you sort of want that to be done kind of within your standard validation process, you know, because what we what we typically ran into is you would do a you know that first layer validation, kind of the request data, and then you'd get through that and then be like, okay, but now we have this other stuff that we need to validate that we got to do a bunch of work and potentially complex work. And then we'd find ourselves creating validation helper classes and calling those and, and it all kind of starts getting ugly because it doesn't fit with the standard flow of how the validation system works within the particular framework that you're using. Yeah. So yeah, we've battled that a lot. So I think like a common thing that happens that I've seen happen a bunch in some of my own applications is you do like kind of your initial frontline validation where you're doing sort of superficial request validation. Like you're talking about, like just making sure that kind of the strings and stuff that come in, in your request keys look to be well formatted and the right ones are there and stuff like that. But then something happens later down the chain in your application where you realize, okay, well this piece of data isn't actually valid. Like there's something bad about this request uh, and now you have to like turn that into a validation error, but maybe you're already past the layer where normally you would be generating the errors and returning the response. And now you have to have like a whole other code path that generates like a failed validation response, like returns a 422 somehow. Is that something that you find yourself running into a lot where you might have like some base level validation that returns a 422, but now because of something else, you have to throw another exception and catch it in a different way or have some conditional statement or something. Like, do you find yourself doing that sort of thing frequently? Yes, we do that almost like almost all the time, I would say. 
So the way that we've solved that or kind of solved that, so we're using Laravel 5.3. And what we've done is we put a lot of our form validation in form request objects. So we don't put the, the actual rules right in the controller, but we throw them in the these form request objects. But that only works, again, that's really just for your standard validation rules. But then we create, um, there's, this, there's this thing in the Laravel validator where you can create these after validation rules, which basically give you a way to have these callbacks that kind of tap into the, the, the standard validation process, but it kind of starts getting a little bit ugly, especially if there's a lot of them, but that's worked like that's worked pretty good because what ends what we end up having is these form request objects end up having all sort of like that, those base validation rules and then these more complex validation rules. So I'm trying to think of like a good example, like maybe we need to check that something exists in the database and it's not like a simple check, or maybe we need to validate that there's some sort of more complex rules that can't be done with just the standard validation stuff that, that we go off and do. So what we'll even do is we'll, we'll, we'll create these after hooks and then we'll call like custom validation classes that we've created that go off and do a bunch of work and basically say, yes, this is valid or no, this isn't valid. So that's, that's kind of how we've done it. I don't love it. Yeah. Have you ever run into situations where it feels like you need to do work before validating like an example that i can think of that people probably run into a lot is say you have um, an endpoint that's dealing with like a specific resource like maybe you're updating a post or something and you're adding tags to that post but the tags that you're adding have to come from like a predefined list of tags and maybe each user in the system has their own kind of list of tags. So you want to be able to verify that the person who's logged in has created a tag that matches the tag that they're trying to add to the blog post sort of thing. The sort of thing that you can't necessarily do right at the beginning of a controller because you feel like you need to fetch some stuff from the database based on some route parameter or something. So you can even know like what's valid. Do you run into stuff like that very often? Like how do you decide like what data to load whether to do a bunch of work before validation or put the validation at the beginning. Do you feel like you've landed on a consistent approach for that? Or is that something that you still run into different things on sort of a case by case basis? Yeah, I guess I don't think we've ever really loaded data or done that sort of stuff beforehand. We've always sort of found a way to kind of hack it into our validation rules and which sometimes is complex because you need to load data. And sometimes that data that you want to load is conditional based on the parameters that are being sent down. So you got to you got to first validate, okay, well, maybe they're passing down a user and you want to load some data to validate, but you need to know that you have a valid user before you can even say, validate whatever this other piece of data is. And that's where it gets like really tricky because it's like, well, unless I know that I actually have that valid user, there's no way to like proceed with that next level of validation because you don't, it, without a user, you can't do it. So, but we've normally, again, we've handled that sort of kind of like, what's the base thing that I need? If I know that I need a user before anything else is possible, well, then first validate the user. And if that doesn't pass, well, then the next rules don't even get run. And that's, that's actually worked out pretty well. Yeah. So the situation that I ran into the other day that kind of uh, prompted me to get like more interested in this topic and do a bunch of work to try and make some things easier in uh, the application I'm working on is I ran into a situation with Stripe 
where I'm retrieving a payment token on the client side, you know, based on the client's credit card information, all that stuff just goes to Stripe servers and not to mine. And then I pass that payment token back to my server. But there's some things that I wanted to validate about the payment token to sort of verify that the person hadn't tampered with the form. And I think this is a step that people skip a lot uh, when it comes to working with Stripe, but Stripe has a couple sort of, uh, they call them radar rules, like fraud prevention stuff, uh, where you can make sure, for example, that a CVC code is required. Because technically, the bank will process a charge without you passing the CVC code. That's kind of like just something that you can use to avoid processing fraudulent charges and just creating a bunch of work for yourself, right? That's sort of there to help the vendor more than it is to help the bank. So with Stripe, by default, they do have that rule enabled where if you do not, or if the CVC code doesn't match, then the uh, the charge will fail. But if you don't pass a CVC code at all, they won't fail the request. They'll think that you're intentionally um, leaving it out, right? So all their kind of radar rules work that way where if you have a radar rule set up, but you omit the field that the radar rule is supposed to apply to, they skip that rule. Right. So basically that makes it easy for someone filling out the form if they know how to modify that. They could, in theory, because that's just being passed down client side. 100%. So especially if you're using like the simplest Stripe form integration, where uh, you're just using their plugin and sticking like some data attributes on different fields, it's super easy for someone to just go into the dev tools and delete the CVC field or delete the postal code field or the zip code field. And then, you know, they'll get a, they'll still get a valid token back, but that token contains some metadata in it that indicates that no zip code was passed and that no CVC code was passed. So when you get that token back on the server, if you're trying to enforce that people did specify a zip code and people did specify a CVC code, uh, because obviously you don't want any credit card data touching your servers, the only thing that does get sent to you is this string that represents the payment token. And the only way for you to know that a CVC code was attached to it or a zip code was attached to it is to request the metadata about that token back from Stripe. So make an API request to Stripe, say, hey, give me all the details for this token. uh, And they'll return some metadata, like a CVC code was included, a zip code was included. So uh, when I kind of realized this, I realized, okay, I can't just say like a payment token is required. I really have to verify that someone didn't tamper with this form. So I needed to come up with a way to do that sort of validation. And it's obviously way more complex than just checking, is this string only made up of these characters or does this email contain an at sign? You know what I mean? I literally have to, in this validation rule, make an HTTP request to an external service, get the result back and then make uh, like verify things about the return values on those, um, on what comes back from uh, the HTTP request. So this was like the situation that I ran into that really made me realize that some of this request validation stuff can be a lot more complicated and it's hard to come up with uh, sort of good solutions for it. So what you were talking about with like the after rules with Laravel at least is definitely one way um, that you could do that, right? Where you would say, you know, validator after and you would pass it a callback and uh, that callback, how does it work exactly? I think as if you add any errors to the validator, you know, the validator checks to see, is there any errors? Um, and that will count as a fail or not. So in this callback, you would basically do all the work to fetch the payment token from Stripe, check, you know, is the CVC check 
uh, set to unchecked instead of null, which is what I need to do in this case. Uh, and if it's null, then I want to add an error saying, hey, someone tampered with this form before they uh, submitted it. Um, so that's totally one way to do it. But it felt like trying to do some of that complex stuff was really making the code kind of hairy and gross, especially if you're doing that at the top of your controller. So you're saying that for that sort of thing, you guys have been using form requests and then like kind of delegating off to other classes in the form request sort of thing? Yeah, but now that I think about it, the actual syntax to to get the after rules working, it felt a little bit like complex to rewrite it every single time. So I think what we ended up doing, I'm just looking at some of the code right now, what we ended up doing in our particular app is we ended up creating a, a base form request object that all our form request objects extended and then we did some extra magic right in there where that you could act, actually just define kind of in a nice way these after rules. And then when Laravel actually calls the validator on that, the validator, like we kind of like overwrote that particular method and then actually kicked in all these after rules in kind of the way that Laravel expects them to be done. So that made that made like a pretty sane, um, uh, it made a pretty sane API in our actual form request objects, but I'm realizing now that it just it wasn't a simple little thing that we we actually had to do a little bit of work to kind of make that a little bit nicer to work with. Yeah. So then basically what we did is like you give it an after rule and you give it a name and you pass in the value and you give it a, a an actual uh, you can give it a closure you can give it another method actually just right within that form request object and then it goes off and does the validation. That worked actually pretty good because we also set it up in such a way that because you give it a name for those after rules, you can also define the actual messages, which is important, right? Because this is the trick with all this stuff. Just because you validate it, true or false, that's like only part one. Part two is actually giving it proper validation errors if you're going to return those back, whether or not it's an API or just a regular yeah. uh, page, right? Uh, so we kind of needed a way to handle that as well. And then it gets even more complex if all these rules that you're doing are being applied to like an array, which obviously when every time you're working with array with validation, uh, it just gets even more complicated. So we kind of got all that working, but we took a little bit of hacking kind of on our part to kind of clean that up, that, that interface up. And it's only because we ran into it like so often. Like I'll give you one example. Hopefully I can keep this simple. In this particular application, it, it's basically a piece of software for uh, the uh, the ed in educational uh, sector. So what it allows people to do, the users to do, the users are teachers and the software allows them to basically mark themselves as absent when they're sick or on holidays or you know away from school for whatever reason. And what the software does then is it goes off and it finds replacement substitute teachers for them in an automated way, which has all sorts of crazy validation rules because substitute teachers have to have all the right credentials and they have to be available on the right days and you know they if they've been blocked by schools and they can't get the work and all these different things so one of the options that we have in the actual absence creation form is a teacher can actually direct assign a substitute teacher that they know you know it's quite common it's like a teacher is away and they they have a certain person that they know it's a friend of theirs or a, a common person that often fills in for them while they're away so they can choose to directly assign that that particular substitute teacher to their absence instead of having the software go off and find it for them, which is great. But that means on our end, when that request comes in to actually create the absence, we now have to do a whole bunch of eligibility validation to make sure that that teacher that or that substitute teacher that they've chosen 
to fill in for them is valid. And there's all sorts of rules around this stuff. Like school districts have complex rules around what makes someone eligible or not. They have to have the right credentials. They have to be available and just a bunch of complex stuff that you, there's, there was no way to easily do that within kind of the standard validation process. So previously, again, what we did is we, we busted it out. We did the basic validation. Then we did the more complex validation, but we found ourselves again. Now I'm kind of repeating myself. We found ourselves doing that over and over. And it just got really kind of annoying because we always had these, like you end up just with longer controller methods and it just felt kind of unnecessary. It's like, it's all validation. It's just a different type of validation that basically we need to be able to do more work than just a simple check. So this sort of helped us out there. But yeah, it was all kind of geared around these form request objects. And it still didn't work. Like I still don't love it because the reason why I don't love it is that we've we've had these afterhooks, which is nice because we do this this uh, these other checks in the afterhooks, but they're they're very much just written kind of within that form request object. Like what I'd love to be able to do is sort of have these custom, more complex business uh, validation sort of style rules and save them as like custom validators that I could like then reuse throughout the app in the different places that I need them, which technically we could do because you could just call those validators from the afterhooks, but it just starts, it starts getting messy, but it, whatever the solution that we've come up with works pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Like I would say, I would definitely say that if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling with the, with these sort of problems and you're finding your controller methods getting long and complicated because of these business style validation rules, definitely look and you're using Laravel, look at kind of a way to tap into the these after hook rules. Um, it's definitely kind of the first step to clean that up. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really, uh, it's not just a great feature but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy and we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer so the fact that we're able to click on you know, th this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important if we get an email from a customer and the customer says you know your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to rollbar and to say okay you know this individual customer this is how they're experiencing the site because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. Yeah, so for me, what I started doing, uh, kind of hacking on the other day, for some reason, I never really, um, I never really got on board with the form request stuff. I think it's because it feels like things are happening in this weird order. It seems like you're defining in the controller method signature what form request should be used. And now that code that's defined in the controller is going to cause different code to run before the controller even runs. It just makes like the flow kind of confusing to me. 
I mean, obviously, once you learn it, everything seems fine. Uh, but for someone who like doesn't know the framework, I think it w- could seem like really kind of odd. So I've always kind of preferred to just stick with validation in the controller, the top of the controller, which got a lot easier in Laravel when they added some of like the validation helpers. So you could just say like this validate in the controller, pass on the request and a list of rules. Uh, Cause what you'd have to do before is do like validator equals validator, make pass in the input, pass in uh, the rules. Then you have to do a conditional. If validation fails, then return this response. Uh, otherwise yeah, like terrible. continue on. Yeah. Terrible. So the way it works now, of course, is like you just call validate and uh, it throws an exception. If, it fails, which gets handled kind of by the framework uh, for you and just gets converted into a specific kind of predefined shape of response, which I think works great for for the 99% use case. Uh, So I wanted to just keep using that approach. And the the after thing was a, a good, you know, way to do some of these custom rules. But if you have like three custom rules, like in this one, I had, I had three, I had one to verify that the country, the person chose on the payment form was a real country um so with laravel you can have like a check that just says make sure this value is in this list of values but there's like 200 and something countries like that would just look stupid um so i wanted to be able to just delegate that off to some you know an array check somewhere else i also had a check to make sure that if someone was from canada that their postal code like looked about right uh, before I tried to calculate tax or anything like that and have things blow up. And then I had this thing about validating like the payment token. So if I wanted to do those all in after hooks, I'd have to register three after callbacks. Each one is a minimum of three lines long. So that's a minimum of nine lines of code added to my controller. It just starts to look really ugly. So I started hacking on this approach where you know, the way that validation works already is you specify a key and then you can specify a list of rules to apply to that key, right? So I can say email is, uh, or sorry, say password. I can say password is required, has to have minimum of six characters and it has to be confirmed. And you can just stick all those three in an array. So I thought it would be really cool if in that array of rules, rather than just pass strings that map to kind of predefined rules, if I could like pass in an object that was my own custom rule. Um, so that's what I kind of, ended up building i'll share a link to a gist or something in the show notes so people can check it out i'm hopefully i'll get it added to the framework if we can make sure that it works for all the different circumstances that it needs to work for but basically what i ended up doing is i have this validation rule interface that has two methods one is uh, fails and it takes the value that you want to check if it fails and some optional parameters in case you need like more context so i think it takes um, the value Uh, the attributes name, and then like the whole validator uh, in case you need full control to do whatever you want. A good example of where that's necessary is like confirmed rules because a confirmed rule doesn't just act on the one value. It has to act on the related values, right? It has to look to see, okay, uh, if password needs to be confirmed, then first of all, I need to know that the field is called password and I need to know that there's another field called password underscore confirmation uh, and verify that those are the same. So it takes three parameters there. And then there's another method on the interface called uh, error or or message or error message, something like that, uh, that takes a similar set of arguments. And that's just where you return what the error message would be if you failed that rule. So then I was able to create like these custom validation rule objects. Like I have a class called country exists that implements this validation rule. And for fails, it just checks to see, you know, if the value coming in doesn't exist in my list of countries, then I return true for fails. 
And then I have an error message that said, you know, uh, whatever attribute is not a valid country. So I made my own little validator that wrapped up Laravel's validator that would basically check all the rules that came in and extract any custom rules and move those into after callbacks. So I could still have sort of a declarative way to just stick in instances of objects for any rules that needed to be more sophisticated. So that has been something I've been playing with uh, that's been working out pretty well so far. And it really makes things like that um, payment token validation thing a lot nicer because I can just delegate that all to one class. And the other nice thing about these rules is you can like instantiate them in line so they can take like constructor dependencies. So like my, I think that the rule is called like valid payment token or whatever. It takes the credit card gateway as a dependency. uh, And it also takes, I think the country and the zip code from the request as dependencies. So now this rule has a reference to the gateway so it can use that to fetch the actual token back from Stripe. It has a reference to the country and a reference to the zip that came in from the request so I can match those up with what's associated with the payment token. Uh, so that's really useful for me to make sure that like the credit card that someone's paying with, if the credit card is from Canada but they said that they were from Brazil to try and like not have to pay sales tax or whatever, I can like validate that now. So that's been working out um, pretty cool and I think it's kind of a, an interesting approach and i i know you've been kind of trying to play around with it too and see if it can help clean up any of the stuff that you have in your app yeah it's it's a great idea that's basically what i've sort of been hoping for with the validation stuff in laravel like the validation stuff in laravel is kind of crazy and i think i think kind of the trick like on one hand it's an awesome feature of laravel it's got a ton of validation rules there's a lot of stuff that you can do with it on the other hand, I think it's kind of a little bit crippled by the fact that it all is string based. All the validation rules all end up as strings. And I think, you know, in a perfect world, if we were to manage to like rewrite the whole validation kind of piece of Laravel, it'd be nice to kind of go the other way around where all the validation rules map back to actually validation rule objects, actual classes that manage this stuff. Because if you did that, then it would be a lot easier to even add this, you know, these kind of custom rules in as well. And I think you could still have all the string-based validation stuff, but that, you know, it would be at like some sort of parsing stage within the actual validation class that would know, well, okay, this is val- this is the required rule. Well, that that ties to the required rule class. I think that would be that'd be awesome. Yeah, the 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 stuff you were working on there is is awesome. I think the only problem is you somehow, when you do this kind of stuff, is you still need a way to kind of hook in to it, right? So if you're going to go through like the standard flow sort of stuff, like using you use the um, this validates rules trait, I believe you use the validates request trait, right? When you do that yeah. in Laravel, yeah, and that's that's cool because that automatically gets called by Laravel, which automatically kicks your rules into gear. The trick is, I think I started messing with it, and because I was using form requests, which kind of have their own flow that's kind of tied, it's coupled pretty tightly to the framework. I think there is a way I got to do do some more digging on it to basically make it so that those after rules get called automatically when the form request object gets called. Because, like you said, you don't actually call that yourself; the framework calls it. So yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. Hopefully, um, if we can like add that into the validation stuff that's in the framework then it'll just work for everyone because yeah right now it's like a user land layer on top of it so of course you have to kind of if you're not using or if you're using it in a way that i didn't expect then you know but that's why it's not a library or anything (laughs) just something that works for me I am always super impressed, though, with how much I'm able to hack Laravel to kind of do these different things. 
Sometimes it's more painful than other times, like when you need to use anonymous classes in order to use a trait in line in, in, a, in an actual closure or something like that. But it's, it's remarkable, like between macros and different things like that, uh, how much you can actually pull off on your own. And sometimes that's just easier. It's just like, okay, I have this particular way that I want to work in my, my app. It's like, yeah, it'd be awesome to bring this back to the framework and, and go, to, go, to, go to bat for it and you know, submit a PR. But it's, uh, as you know, adding something to the framework is a whole different thing than just yeah. creating a few classes for your own particular app. And There's always that fear that like one person is using some feature in one way that's currently yes. kind of supported by coincidence. And now this change that you want to make breaks it for someone else and it breaks something that you would never use. So now it can't really get merged into the framework, but now you can't use it at all unless you maintain a fork or something. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So it's pretty awesome how much you can do from user land. And sometimes it's kind of like a, a little bit, hard to justify putting in all the work to try and make it available for everybody else because uh, open source can be kind of a, a thankless endeavor sometimes yeah and it's i'm always amazed at how much time it takes like you, you it takes a lot of time to put it together but then also like if you ask say taylor or the other maintainers of the framework to merge something in you're asking a lot of them like what can seem like a seemingly simple addition or change can actually have a lot of you know unexpected side effects so yeah, I, I've definitely become more comfortable over the years just saying, okay, these are the standard things that I sort of just use. It's my own code. Every time I start a new project, I tend to use the thing. Like the one that I know that you use all the time is I had a macro called validate on the actual request object. So I don't even do this uh, request or however the standard request stuff is. I just call it right on the request object. Yeah. So there's certain things that I, I tend to do that I'm kind of okay with that it's just in... It's not even in user land. It's, yeah, well, it's in user land, but it's in my land. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So another thing that I hit uh, sometimes with validations is the, the typical one is like a database unique constraint thing. So like you can have like a unique validation rule, right? To make sure that this email that someone's using to sign up is a unique email in the database. But that doesn't guarantee that by the time you go to actually save that user record that someone else hasn't tried to do the same thing, right? Like there's a race condition problem there. So what are you normally doing in situations where like it might've got past your sort of frontline validation and probably 99.9% .9 of the time, that's going to mean that it's fine because those race conditions are probably rare, but there's still a chance that it could blow up. Like, are you kind of paranoid enough to handle those or is it a case by case basis or what is your kind of approach there? Yeah. Race conditions are, oh man, that's a fun problem all on its own. You could have a whole discussion just about them. <laughs> but I would say that generally, like I, I validate for the user for those 99.9% of the time, meaning that I handle the most common, like basically almost always situations, meaning that the user gets nice errors formatted properly back and there's no issue. However, I will obviously check for those other issues. If it's a database constraint, well, you're going to get a, an error from your database layer, which is going to throw an exception. In those situations, I'm probably going to be okay with just letting the exception throw and the user get an error just because it's so infrequent. Yeah. Which, you know, that decision really sort of comes down to how frequent it, you know, that infrequent thing could happen and how bad it is to show them an error, you know, an error has occurred sort of message. I'll always be aware that, you know, I always try to be aware that the possibility exists though and do any cleanup work that has to happen there. Um, so sometimes what I'll even do is like, I'll catch, catch the exception, 
do some cleanup work and then like rethrow the exception because I want to see that in my error, my error software. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The unique one is always kind of tricky because it's not like it throws a, sp- a specific kind of exception or anything that tells you like a unique constraint violation happened. It's just like, you know, the query failed and there's a message and you could try and parse out the fact that the word unique is in that message if you want to. But otherwise it's hard to really know for sure. Like, that this failure happened because of this constraint violation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a it's a case by case situation, depending on how how big of a chance it's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. So some of the other stuff that we we had written down here related to validation was sort of just like how much client side validation to do and, you know, that versus doing it on the server side or duplicating it in both places, especially when you have forms that are like really interactive, like JavaScript uh, style forms. Do you have any kind of common, you know, advice or any opinions that you've sort of formed on that sort of thing? Like, do you have a standard approach? Yeah. Um, well, obviously it's, there's always the server side validation. You can't get away from that. So it's, it's more just, I always find the decisions more like how far do you go client side and the tempting thing. And I see a lot of people doing this nowadays is to take advantage of the HTML five validation rules. And I don't know, I just can't get behind them. I, I, maybe I should, and I've just got to embrace it. And maybe I'm old school and it's just, I don't know. My issue with all the HTML5 validation stuff is it's really nice. Like you throw the word required on your input and now, you know, the browser, the browser supports the HTML5 validation, then it just throws a nice little error. But I 
Okay, this is gonna maybe sound silly, but the part that I can't get past is the fact that the error messaging is always different. So like I have my my standard error messaging that the framework will show in the case of errors, yeah, which is whatever system I'm using to show errors. But then the HTML5 validation errors kind of have that different look, which is really just dependent on the particular browser that you're using. And the, like, the other thing with the HTML5 validation errors is I believe it only shows the first one, like the first form that it catches, or sorry, the first field that it catches that has an error. So imagine you had a field that just had, you know, you got to fill in your email address and a password or whatever. Maybe that's a bad example. Say you have to, maybe you have to fill your name and, a pa- and an email address. Well, if you leave your name blank, but you but you also put an invalid email address in there, I think like the HTML5 validation will show that the name is um, required and missing, but it won't show the invalid email error because you, it kind of goes one at a time and kind of tackles one error at a time. Yeah. Whereas like your normal validation, like you submit the form and it shows all your errors. I don't know. Maybe I sh- maybe I shouldn't care and whatever. There's obviously benefits to using the HTML5 validation because it just it just works, I guess, in the browsers that it does work in. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the HTML5 validation? I I don't know. It's a love hate thing because I love the idea of it. I love being able to just like declaratively mark the form with what fields are required, especially for stuff that's like very superficial validation like that, right? It's much nicer to be able to just tell the user right away instead of having to go through a page refresh and whatever. But yeah, the browser support thing is a problem. Like I'm looking at the form validation kind of browser support at caniuse.com right now, and it's better than I remember it being. But Safari 10 still doesn't support, well, still never will because Safari 10 is Safari 10, (laughs) but it doesn't support the required field which is like the most important validation rule of all of them. Um, and then iOS on Safari also doesn't support it even in the latest version. Uh, but everything else does basically support it now. Like, I don't know about IE 10, but IE 11 does and Edge all supports everything. So uh, it looks like Safari 10.1 finally supports the required stuff. So we might be able to start relying on it a, a little bit more for for really basic stuff. But even then, you still have to do it on the server, right? Because the there's no way for to guarantee that someone didn't manipulate the form. And then you run into this kind of situation of if I do have to do it on the server now, what does that translate into as a response? Like if I know that the only reason that someone would have hit this error is because they tampered with the form, do I, should I really bother putting in all this effort to display those errors nicely to them? Or should I just show a server error or something, you know what I mean? Or just like a 400 bad request error page because they should never see it unless they're being sort of malicious, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I would probably say that I'd probably still want to show proper errors because the reality is the client-side validation can only do so much, right? Like like maybe you want to make sure that there's no duplicate email address or something. You want to verify that, you know, the user hasn't entered an email address that already exists on another account in that system. Well, like that's not something you can ever do client side, right? So Yeah. It's the same with like that payment token thing I was exactly. talking about. No matter what, you're gonna have to have some sort of ability to relay messages back from the server for things that only the server can verify. Yeah. So if you have to do some of it, then why not do it all? This is this is exactly yeah, what exactly. I run into. <laughs> it's like I'm writing this all already. It's gonna work already. So do I like I and I guess maybe it comes down to your particular app. For me, it's like a simple page reload, like for a, a form like this. This isn't a this isn't a slow process. Like, like I aim for you know app load 
page time of 500 milliseconds or less. And often it's much, much less than that. So it's like for the user to hit submit and to submit and they see the errors versus them seeing it automatically in Javis because of JavaScript or these HTML5 validation rules. It's just, it's sort of just like, it's no different for me. So it's, it's like, that's what I'm struggling with. Like, what is it adding? Like, what is it giving me that, you know, like what work is it saving me? Because right now it actually feels like it's more work because like I'm going in, I'm adding these extra rules in and it gets tricky too. It's like validation rules aren't always as simple as, well, this is required. It's like, well, sometimes it's like, no, this is required only when this other field isn't, you know, set to this value or only when this other field is empty or, or something like that. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm probably just not in tune enough with the HTML5 validation stuff to really kind of fully appreciate kind of what the purpose is. But like right now it just feels like more work and I have that annoying, like different style, different style errors problem. I think I agree. Like if you can do it, you might as well just do all the validation on the server. Even if you're doing like an Ajax form submission or whatever, you know, just still have the errors come back from the server instead of doing the validation client side only because you are forced to do it on the server regardless. So it seems like less work to write some code on the client side to be able to interpret those errors and map them out to the UI however you want than it does to duplicate all the that superficial validation stuff, especially since there's, of course, stuff that just straight up cannot ever be validated on the client side. So Yeah, not unless you do some sort of like, Ajax, like every time they fill out a field, you fire, a, a, you know, I've done this in the past where you fire like an Ajax request that goes and does the server side validation for that particular field. But yeah, then you're dealing with showing Ajax errors and you kind of whatever it's, it's sort of like another yeah. can of worms, right? I think uh, me and you were looking at something the other day, which was a fun sort of validation related problem. And the whole idea of like, if you have a good JavaScript form that has like a dynamic number of fields where like someone can like hit a button to add a new row or something like that. And then you want to submit that to the server and get validation errors back. The whole thing is so much work every time when you want to like map those back to the the fields that they came from, especially with dynamic stuff. Did you ever like land on a, an elegant solution to that or come up with an approach that you feel like is going to be reusable and at least save you a bunch of time going forward or what? Yeah, that ended up not being too bad. So yeah, the in this particular case, it was it was actually like an, an embeddable JavaScript widget that I was creating. And this particular widget, a user could, it was like a, a super simple form builder. They could add input fields and select boxes. And for each one of those, they could choose whether or not they're required or not. So that was really the extent of the validation. And it had to match one of the, if for, it was a select box, select box, it had to be one of the valid options for the select box, obviously. So what I ended up doing there is I ended up using the Laravel array validation stuff. And it actually wasn't too bad to do at all because I was using like standard page reloads for this, for this form. I just named those custom fields in a, such a way that it was easy to use the array validation stuff. I don't think it was that painful. I forget exactly how I did it, but it wasn't too bad because that's, that's, that's exactly right. Like I was looking at that. I'm like, maybe for this particular use case, I'll just, you know, throw a required on there in in the HTML and just be done with it. And even who cares about the server side validation? Cause in this particular case, you know, whether or not that field was required or not, wasn't like a life and death situation by any means, but I still landed on the server side validation because it was still, they felt it just worked out better because it kind of, it went through the regular flow of the validation process that already existed yeah 
Here's a question for you that's kind of more, I guess like a UI kind of question, but something I battle with a lot when I'm dealing with forms is like trying to decide, should I just show like one box that shows a list of all the uh, form validation errors or should I like go through all the work to kind of show each one in the right spot contextually? And it, it really depends on like a lot of different things. But uh, is that something that you've had to like battle decision making wise before? Yeah, I'm pretty opinionated about this. Like I like to see inline errors. So after every single field, I want the error there. I personally not a fan of the bucket of errors at the top of the page or at the bottom. Yeah. So what I do is I'll often have like a message that shows at the very top of the page on a form error that says there are form errors. And then you scroll down and every single one of the inputs that has an error, I want to see in red. Like I don't want like extreme red. Like sometimes I find things, you know, error error messages are like too bold. It's like, no, just go easy with the red. So I have I have some opinions <laughs> about the red. Like don't go nuts with the red. Don't choose the standard HTML or the HTML like red color. Like it's too dark. <laughs> we want a very, very light red background input field and then a nice clean, small error message underneath that makes it easy to understand. I find that's always the nicest way. Uh, I think people don't do that quite often because adding a class is annoying to the actual input. Actually checking for each individual field and output and it's like whatever it's sort of just this is what makes forms horrible right because like there is sort of like the the lazy way to do this and just spin them out at the top which is okay whatever it works but if you actually want to do it kind of like the nicer way it's like okay now i gotta add like i gotta add all the classes in i've got to go through and like check every single input does an error exist and then output it so even like a simple like four field form like you're you're getting like tons and tons of like lines of code just you know to make it all work and look proper but i guess the only like fortunate thing is you you do this all the time that you kind of get quick at it and it's a lot of copy and paste and i don't know that's sorry i rambled a little bit but that's sort of like my my feel on that yeah i think where it gets tricky for me sometimes is when i have a validation error that doesn't really feel like it's tied to like one field i don't know if that if you've ever run into that but yes I feel like I kind of have that one with like the payment stuff sometimes where, you know, there's three fields for a credit card, but I don't really want to necessarily say which one was wrong. It's really just like something about your credit card information was incorrect or something. But um, something I ran into the other day, actually, which is kind of a fun, funny story of like one of those things where you completely underestimate like how challenging and how much time it's going to take you to get something done. Have you ever had to build a form where you have like, where the input fields are like butted up right against each other, where they have like shared borders. Oh yeah. Yeah. So validation is the worst in these situations. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. So I was trying to build like a little credit card thing where you have like your credit card number and then bottom left of that is like the expiry date and bottom right is like the CVC, but all the borders were shared. And actually it was even worse on the first version that I built because there was like a postal code field too that was at the bottom. Uh, so there was like a full width credit card field then two half width fields then a full width field underneath and all of these had shared borders and trying to validate each field individually and having the borders show up correctly was like such a voodoo wizardry magical combination of all these different z index rules based on you know whether this error class is applied or not because anything with an error needs to sit above anything that doesn't have an error because you don't want a field that has an error to only have three of its borders red because yeah. the field next to it has a gray border that's overlapping it or something. So what I've done in these situations is 
I've kind of said, well, these pieces, like these, all these form elements, they're joined together. They're butted up against each other. And maybe this is like breaking my own rule a little bit, but it's like, if any one of the three elements say in that form group is an error, well, then I treat the whole thing as an error. The whole thing's invalid. Sure. So I make the whole thing red and then I show the appropriate error or errors below it. That's sort of, again, it's maybe a bit of a cheat, but I, I feel like that's more sane than trying to deal with those crazy borders. <laughs> cool. All right, man. Well, uh, I know uh, we're kind of running out of time here. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on again and chatting with me about this stuff. It's always fun to, uh, to get into some of this stuff with you. Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for having me on again, eh? Cool. Uh, if anyone's interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 59. And uh, if you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that's always helpful. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.